Hello, and welcome to All Fighters Follow Me, a Star Wars Armada podcast, as well as a proud member of the Armchair Adventures podcast series. I'm Moff Ted. And I'm Senator Faith. Today, in our Academy segment, we are going to be talking about our basic list-building process. So, Ted, what do you first start with when you're looking to build a new list? Well, I first look at one of two things. I think about what style of list I want to play, or a certain aspect of the list, like a ship or a commander I want to play in that list. Yeah, I like to do that too. I primarily like to start off with the thought of, am I going to go ship heavy or squadron heavy? So deciding what's going to be having your main damage output in the list. Mm -hmm. Or what kind of central theme I like to go for. Right. I like a little bit of both, but I definitely have some lists I go into that I really am primarily building it to make squadrons and other ones that are primarily for ships. I also like to think about what sort of ships I want going in. Do I want to have fast, aggressive ships with black dice? Do I want to have more artillery ships that are going to be a little slower and have more red dice and try and stay at long range? Also, do I want to be mostly using large ships or small ships, or do I want a mix of both? Yeah, I definitely do that with the Rebels, too. Rebels has a lot more options for small ship lists, where you just have a giant variety pack of small Rebel ships. I feel like you can't really do that much with Imperials. You can. The thing for Imperials is we only really have three combat ships that are small size. We have the Raider, we have the Gladiator, and we have the Architens light cruiser. And those all have a really different role in the build, but we don't really have a generalist brawler like the Rebels do. Mm-hmm. That's true. Funnily enough, Rebels also have more large ship options, because at the end of the day, the only large ship the Imperials have is the Star Destroyer, where the Rebels have the Liberty class, Home 1 class, MC-80s, and the MC-75. You're right. Rebels are awesome. But we have way more medium ships. And Imperial flexibility, I feel, often comes from the medium ships. We can build a tanky list with the Interdictor, we can build a squad list with the Quasar, or we can build a gunship list with a Victory Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rebel lists have the option of using those small ships as support which is really nice. A lot of those small uh, Imperial ships don't make very good support, except for the Gazanti. Yeah, they're really just floating guns. Um, whereas you talked about Yavaris last week and how the Neb B can be a very efficient squadron pusher. Um, I'm a big fan of the Pelta, which is actually a really solid um, midway support ship that the Rebels have as well. So for starters with a list concept, one that I've built that I like to play when I'm really just having fun, is a Darth Vader theme fleet, where I start with Darth Vader as the commander, and then I actually run a Imperial Star Destroyer 1 with the Devastator title, which is Darth Vader's flagship in the movies. I put in some upgrades that, and I'll look up on Wikipedia to see which upgrades that the Star Destroyer would actually have, like what turbo lasers, what kind of ion cannons. Um, I'll throw some of those upgrades on to fit. Then I'll get a couple Architens for escorts, maybe a Gazanti, and from there I'll go with the squadrons that are canonically in Darth Vader's um, command. Like, Sienna Rhee is actually stationed on the Devastator until 
they moved to the Executor. Mahler, Mathel, and Black Squadron are both part of Darth Vader's own personal escort squad, the Black Squadron. I could find those theme kind of lists where you try to do something from the movies, and the comic books are so much fun. Like, I remember when I, after I got the... Profundity. Mix, uh, profundity in the Mix 75 doing a few Rogue One theme lists where all my uniques were all characters from Rogue One. I didn't do super well with that list, but it was fun. Yeah, for better or for worse, running actual movie fleets isn't always super effective, but it can be a real blast to really kind of put that together. Um, the Just your favorite little reenactments. Yeah, I think we should... We still need to do, like, a Battle of Scarif and put something like that together one of these yes. days. Um, but you talked about doing a Radis fleet with the Profundity. Do you want to talk about that? how that put together a little bit? Yeah. So, for my Rogue One Radis Profundity list, Radis and Profundity both let you drop ships in later in the game. So, obviously, one of those choices is... Tantive Four, Princess Leia on it, to drop that just for thematic. And for the other one, I do Geralt's Honor. Which is a hammerhead Which is a title. hammerhead title. And that, actually, when you're doing a profundity or radis list where you're dropping a ship, you really ought to think hard about what ship you want to drop. Usually you want to do something that you want to drop off really close to... The oppo- to an opposing ship so that it can deal just a bunch of damage right away, right up close, and then get out of there. So a hammerhead is great for that. And then with Geralt's Honor, that title lets you deal a face-up damage when you when overlap, you overlap yep. them. So if you do happen to land it in a really unfortunate spot where it gets pinned down, well, it can just sit there and keep ramming it to death. It does depend on what you land in front of. Hammerheads are a a tough little ship for their points, but they still don't take a really solid front arc shot or a side arc from a ISD or a side arc shot from an MC-80 or something like that. Yeah, but if you put something good on them, like external racks and ordnance experts or other combos that'll let you just pile on a bunch of dice damage all at once... It can really make or break whether or not you're going to actually kill something like an ISD. That's true. I've had hammerheads hit me really hard. I had one in a tournament hit me for nine damage, I think, on a Star Destroyer, and it was not my favorite day. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit like a Rebel Raider variant. Yeah. Not as fast, but a little tougher. Usually. A little bit. Um, and then, so what squadrons did you put in your Scarif list? Well, Hera, because technically she's there. You see her. One of the corners. But um, that, and I did some classic X-Wings and Y-Wings. Yeah, they have a they have blue squadron, red squadron, gold squadron at Scarab, so they get a pretty good mix of, uh, of options there. Mm-hmm. Dutch works, Wedge works. They were both flying, even though Wedge wasn't, I think, specifically shown. He was very likely there. So with back to your Vader list. So with that, would you be mainly focusing on the Vader ISD and piling as much upgrades onto that as possible? 
I try to not keep it too heavy because I want it to be a more flexible list since I know that without electronic countermeasures being there, it's going to be a little bit weaker to taking direct damage. I don't tend to put Minister Tua on the list, but I can every once in a while for the officer spot. Minister Tua is an Imperial officer that adds a defensive retrofit slot to a ship, which is very important for a large ship, so it can take those defensive retrofits like electronic countermeasures, which lets it cancel on accuracy to use its powerful defense tokens like its brace and its redirects, or something like reinforced blasters to just regain some of the high amounts of hull that they have. With the Devastator title, it's a 10-point upgrade, and I really want to be spending my defense tokens. Fortunately, Darth Vader, as a commander ability, lets you spend defense tokens to reroll attack dice, so I can get attacked, spend defense tokens, attack back, um, discard those defense tokens, and those discarded defense tokens once per round out of my front arc give me extra blue dice with the Devastator title. I've actually had shots where I was upwards of, I think, 11 dice on a one attack from that Star Destroyer instead of the normal 8, and it hits really hard. At that point, it's almost like they're just taking chunks off the ISD and chucking them at the other ships, like, we're falling apart. <laughs> Take that. That seems like more of a rebel tactic to me, but I suppose that could happen. Um, and then the Architens, I'd stand to keep pretty light. Normally I would put dual turbolaser turrets on an Architens just to give them some dice re-roll ability, but with Darth Vader allowing them to re-roll, they're always going to have a dice that they're not going to need as much. So I've actually used things like slave turrets on them. I've tried um, XX9 turbolasers once or twice in that build, to, which is a crit effect that allows you to do two face-up cards if you're doing hull damage instead of one. Um, or the first two that you deal are face-up, which can add up really quickly because those crits are really nasty and taking more than one per shot is pretty bad. I tend to have a Gazanti to help push squadrons in the comms net, and then, I, like I said, I had a, I have a fighter screen. We talked about screens versus bomber wings versus uh, superiority wings a little bit. So I have a couple generic TIE fighters. I have Black Squadron, I have Mauler, and I have Sienna. And I might throw in another Interceptor, but generally that's about it. And so what kind of objectives would you pick with that list? Since I don't take gunnery teams on my ISD-1 in that list, because I'm mainly going for that Devastator shot, I will take Advanced Gunnery, which lets my uh, objective ship, which is going to be the Star Destroyer, attack the same target with the same hull zone twice. Once I get that ISD-1 up, it's got three red, two blue, and three black in its front arc. If I can get that up close and hit you twice with it, one of those with those extra dice from Devastator, which might add three or even four dice late in game if I've spent all my tokens, that's going to rip apart an enemy ship. That's just a gross amount of dice. It's really fun. <laughs> Alternately, I'll take, for a yellow, um, I might take fire lanes, just so, which is one an objective where you have tokens around the board and whoever has the most dice effectively attacking each token in their arcs gets points. That one has gotten a little trickier with the advent of Strategic on the VCX-100 in the Lambda, which lets you move those objective tokens. So unless I have a Lambda in the list, I don't like to take that one, but in a for-fun list, I might take it anyway. And finally, a blue 
I will probably take something like Minefields. Minefields is an objective where the second player gets to place all of the obstacles and then gets to put little mine objective tokens on the board. And those mine objective tokens deal damage to any ships that end a maneuver next to them. And it's very Imperial, like, hey, we laid out mines to trap these pirates or these rebels, and the collateral damage is whatever, because we're a giant tyrannical war machine. How about for Radis? what type of objectives do you like to choose for him? So I like to do for my red objective, Most Wanted, which the second player picks an objective ship from their side and the opposing side, and for the objective ships... When they are destroyed, they are worth double their ship cost in points, and you get one extra die of any color when attacking against them. So for that, I usually pick one of my smallest support ships, maybe a transport or a lesser corvette, and then... I will pick whatever their largest ship is, something I know is going to get in the fray that I'm going to want that extra dice against and that I'm going to want that double points from. And usually that's a a pretty safe bet for me with almost any list. Sure, I know once or twice I've actually chosen a ship that I know my opponent is going to be using very aggressively to get double points from. So you're talking about Geralt's Honor earlier, that hammerhead that's going to get right up close. And it's not worth a lot of points base, but I am almost guaranteed to kill that ship. I've very rarely seen a Girl's Honor escape. So it's points that I know I'm getting, and sometimes I might just take that, unless I have a really good plan to destroy their large ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for a yellow, I'd like to use Planetary Ion Cannon. And that lets you place three objective tokens on the field, distance five, from the edges, and at the beginning of the round, you can attack a ship at blue range of one of the objective tokens for four blue dice, and then you remove that token. I like it because it gives you a little extra firepower at the beginning of the round, and ultimately, it's another fairly safe objective because you're really the only one getting any benefit from it. Sure. Yeah, it can be really frustrating as a first player going into Planetary Ion Cannons, because I know I've played that against you multiple times. And just getting that free damage at the beginning of the round um, from your opponent, that can add up, especially if you're getting multiple shots from CR-90s and maybe some long-range shots from your large ships. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful about where you're placing them, too, because you do place them before they your opponent places their ships. So you want to... Try to aim for where you think they'll be. Maybe spread them out. But it can be really frustrating when you place one token that never gets used. Just because nothing comes in range of it. Sure. How about for a blue objective? And for blue objective, I actually like to use superior positions. And that's because I play Rebel and I have a lot of speedy ships. Superior positions lets you take victory points for attacking the rear hull of a ship. And also it makes your opponent place all their ships at the beginning. Place all of their ships. And squadrons. And squadrons. And then you can place yours accordingly. 
So then you don't have to worry about that. Oh, I place my ship here. You know, they place their ship there. And I place my ship here. Nope, you can just see where they're going to be and then place your ships accordingly. Yeah, it just wins you to the deployment game, which Radis and the profundity with their adding the ships to the table close to one of yours, but in any position you want, is already giving you a huge advantage on. Exactly. And also, with a Radis or profundity kind of list, you're going to be short a few ships at the beginning, so it may be that you end up putting all of your ships out deployed before they're even done with half of their list. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen any Radis fleet that I've played against on the table have more than six deployments besides what they have off the board, and that was a very steep amount. Yeah, usually for me, I won't do a Radis list with really more than four, just because profundity itself is usually so expensive. But also, back to superior positions, being a rebel player and having those speedy ships, I can usually curve my ships around pretty fast to get those rear arc points, or I can drop a ship right where it needs to be to get into the rear arc or to get into that position. Yeah, it turns out just being able to put a ship on the table in the middle of the game is pretty strong. Oh yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> Whereas for the Darth Vader fleet, I have to just deploy that when I start um, staging out, you know, adding my support ships, adding my squadrons, adding my um, escort ships like my Architens um, for flanking, and then having my Star Destroyer go down last where I want it to be. So I'm not projecting that, and that's often how the deployment game goes, where you're stalling out with your more flexible, maneuverable pieces that are worth less points, and you have your heavy hitters that you save later in. Um, and I've seen some lists that only have four or five deployments total. I've seen lists that I think the highest I saw was nine. Mm. My list that I run in tournaments has eight deployments, which I usually feel pretty safe with. Now, when we're saying deployments, you also mean placing the squadrons. Yeah, and that's two squadrons per deployment or one ship. Yeah. It is really important when you're thinking of, when you're building a list, thinking about how you would want to place them. Because it's good to have kind of that idea in mind of what formation you want to be flying these in. Because that can really help you, especially at the beginning of the game, just to kind of have a general idea of where you want to place things. Just so you're not kind of sitting there for 20 minutes thinking, huh, where should this go? Yeah, it speeds up the game. It also could save you some from poor positions. I know I've had games where I thought I was going to be sneaky and put my Gazanti flotillas behind like an interdictor. And the interdictor was only at speed one because I was going to tank out and just kind of slow roll up the board and score points on my objective. And the Gazanti got stuck there, and I rammed my own interdictor, I think, two rounds in a row, and it was on one hole before we even fired shots. Um, and I've had a lot of times where I've misplaced a ship, and a ship that I really wanted in the middle of things, getting shots in, but they ended up floating around the outside of the board and never actually saw any of the action. Yeah, deployment is a very important skill 
And it's one of the ones that I think takes some of the most experience to get right. Even if you have a really high deployment advantage objective, like Superior Positions or Solar Corona, which has a similar effect, you can get some things in the wrong spot, and that can lose you the game. If I can get my Star Destroyer in a position where my opponent just flies around it, I never get those big front arc shots, that can be it. Yeah. Even I'm really still trying to master deployment. There have been so many games where first round in, I think, oh, that should not have gone there. Well, and deployment is also very different list per list. I know when I tried out the um, the Bob Barker, the Star Destroyer, Quasar, and then a bunch of squadrons, I didn't really know where to put that Quasar to keep it safe, but also be able to get my squadrons where I needed them, and I messed it up a couple times. Or my Jerdrod list, which has five ships in it. One's a Star Destroyer, so that's kind of beefy and it goes where it wants to. But those Raiders and those Gazanti really need to be in the correct place to support the Star Destroyer or everything just gets picked apart. And that all starts in deployment. Mm-hmm. Also, you got to think about your squadrons and where to place them. Because if, if you have a list that's where you have a ship that's going to be pushing those squadrons, you need to make sure that they're staying in range of the ships that are going to be commanding them. And the Force save you if you accidentally run over your B-Wings with your MC-80 around one of the game, because then they're never getting to the fight with never. that Speed 2. Speed 2. They're, they're gone. They are out of commission. So with deploying mm-hmm. squadrons, one thing I like to do is instead of putting them directly in front of the ship, I'll put them ahead of, but then off to the side at an angle. And it's going to get in the way of your maneuver tool later, and it gets really annoying, but you don't tend to run over them as much, and they'll still get into the fight. Yeah, never put your squadrons directly in front of your ship. Unless the ship is going speed 4, in which case it can hop it, but no. in most cases you're, you're going to end up going to the... Back corner of shame. Which is a place that no squadron ever wants to be. Mm-mm. After deployment, though, you have to think about how your list is engaging, and from deployment, it, it lines up your shots. With my Darth Vader list, I really want to get my Star Destroyer in and fighting as quick as possible. So I usually have that right up the middle going for their biggest target, but I want to have the Architect supporting it, so I like to p- deploy them on the sides and kind of fly them all in a medium-close formation where nothing is really flying off on its own at any point. That means it's going to be harder for my opponents to get around the Star Destroyer, so I'm going to get those big front arc shots. But it also means my Star Destroyer is there to help support my Architens as well. Architens are a really nice ship for staying at long range and delivering damage, but they are very vulnerable because the most dice they're ever throwing without a concentrate fire or an uh, upgrade of any form is going to be three. You can get them up to five, which is pretty respectable, but there's a lot of ships, um, MC-30 frigates, Gladiator-class Star Destroyers, Raiders, and Hammerheads are perfectly happy just rolling in, taking that side arc shot or even a double arc from an Architens, and then just dumping black ice. Black dice? Black ice is what we worry about on the freeways in the winter. Yep. Black <laughs> dice on that ship, and just there is no more light cruiser anymore. And then with those, I like to keep my light cruisers close in to my Star Destroyer to support each other, and then those squadrons are in as well. Some fleets I'll have, I'll just throw my squadrons out there and let them do their own thing. 
if I'm just running a screen, I really want to keep it close into my ships where I can support those squadrons with flak dice and arcs I'm not using to attack ships with. In our last game, I was running a squadron screen against your bomber fleet, and I was using a decent amount of flak dice, and it ended up not necessarily saving me at any point, and I didn't kill many of your squadrons, but I was getting those extra damage out. And you needed it because your squadrons were not having a good time. No. Turns out generic TIE fighters against rebel aces and uh, fighter heroes are not super good. No. Wow. And then when I am moving my ships in for engagement, for the Radis list, for example, with that one, I'm going to want to make sure that that profundity, that MiG-75, is getting in to the middle of the action. It's got a good front arc and a good side arc. I kind of like to kind of almost kind of steer around the action a little bit, have a little bit of that, you know, kind of swirling toilet bowl action, keep my support ships kind of on the outside so that their ships kind of have to come between or have to shoot through the profundity to get close to them. Sure, so you use your profundity as a big shield, which is pretty tough. It can do that. Mm -hmm. And then you want the MiG-75 in the fray also so that you can drop those ships where you need them. Yep. And then any other kind of small, fast ships that I have, that I might have in there, like a MiG-30, I want kind of coming around quick, attacking for as much as they can, and then dipping out. Yeah. There's a there's a few ships like that, and I'll call them destroyer-style ships as an actual, like, in the real-world Navy terms, a destroyer is a lightweight ship that has a bunch of torpedoes that rolls up super fast, unleashes torpedoes, and then gets away as soon as it can. It has some guns, but... The MC-30 and the Gladiator class are really good examples of those. So mm-hmm. they really are, are hit and run. They can take a couple shots if they need to. Um, they're tougher than Corvettes. They hit harder than Corvettes. But they st- still aren't going head-to-head with those big battle cruiser capital classes like a Star Destroyer MC-80 and sitting there and trading bur- volleys of fire with them very well. Mm-hmm. Very good. Big space boats. Yeah. Big space boats. Big space boat. Big space boats are often where you find the commander of your fleet. Um, whether that's a commander that's going to support your durability or your attack ability or your maneuverability or your token ability. Okay, that's going to be a word. Okay, great. Token ability. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. And you really have to decide if you want an admiral that's just going to be part of your big flagship or if he's something that is going to support your entire list and if it meshes well with your entire list. It's usually best if you're going to be building a list that you use as much as it as you can working with the, the commander or the admiral. I know I have a general kraken list when I run rebels. General kraken gives the ships that are in his fleet's obstruction if they're medium or small and they're going speed three or higher. 
there's one ship in that fleet that's only speed two. I do have a Pelta in that list, so I do have one ship that does not benefit but from my commander, so I have to keep that in mind when I fly it. Mm-hmm. But it still is crucial to the list because of the support abilities that the Pelta offers otherwise. But you don't want to run a list with Constantine, who requires medium or large ships, with all small ships. Just make sure you're building for your commander. Don't ignore them. It's one of the strongest things you have in your fleet is your commander ability. So make sure you're planning around that. So to wrap up our academy today, we start with getting our core concept of the list. You get your primary ship your support ships, your squadrons, get all that together, get them the upgrades they need once you get the ships, add your squadrons in. Sometimes you start with squadrons if you're drilling a squadron heavy, sometimes you end with them, which I often do since I tend to build a more ship damage-oriented fleet. You choose your objectives from there. If you have a tanky list that takes lots of damage, there's objectives for that. If there's if you have fast, small ships that you're going to be skirmishing with more, there's objectives for that. There's really a set of objectives for just about anything you want, and then more from there just to add flavor. And then you got to figure out de- your deployment and just keep practicing. And I'd say if you haven't flown a list at least three times, you probably don't even have a feel for it yet. Yeah, it takes a while to really decide whether or not you like a list. You know, you can have just an off day with a list. You really got to practice with it. And there's some lists that, probably for better or for worse, I, I guess, I think it's good that there's some lists that just run over other lists, but then there's other lists that run over that sa- the same list. So you get sort of, not quite a rock, paper, scissors effect, but you get this counter and ebb and flow of what can, what is effective against what and a lot of it is just also to experience and your play style yeah so the best thing to do is just get out get those games in well that's all we have time for for this episode this has been all fighters follow me an armchair adventurers podcast and be sure to follow us on instagram affm.official i'm senator faith and i'm moff ted thanks for listening and may the force be with you